Yeah, Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card, wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. I am your host, Joe Lazito. So today I bring you episode 51, actual episode 68, but numbered episode 51, Kenny Bam Bam Belanger. Oh boy, I was happy to finally hook up with Kenny. Uh, I mean, if you if you saw him play for the Islanders, you know how tough this guy was. Uh, really understated guy. Really fit in here on the island. Big time fan favorite for the time that he was here. Uh, definitely made an impact. And uh, to me, this was a good get. And uh, Kenny's real busy. We touch on it in the episode. He's got it's uh, got a lot of stuff going on up in uh, in Canada. So um, the fact that he gave me as much time. As he did, uh, I am very grateful for that. So I think you people will enjoy it. So uh, no matter what platform you are listening to the show on, if you could please subscribe, like, rate, and review the show. Uh, the benefit of subscription is, well, there's two. One, it doesn't cost you anything. And two, you get the content as soon as I upload it. So Right now, it's a little late for me to get this going here on a Sunday night, but uh, it's 6.25 on Sunday night. Hopefully, I'm done within 15, 20 minutes or so. Maybe you'll get the content if you're a subscriber by 6.45, 7 o'clock. But if you're not a subscriber, it will appear eventually on the uh, platforms, but subscribers get it right away. So that's the advantage of subscription. And also, like I said, it's free. And by you taking the opportunity to like or rate or review the show, it brings higher visibility to the show. And, uh, you know, like Darren, fourth line voice always says, we're the mom and pop uh, shops of the podcast world. You know, and we don't have the following of a lot of the bigger shows. I think we're better than the bigger shows. I'll be honest with you there, but, uh, but we don't have the following. So anything that can be done to uh, increase our visibility, uh, I know he appreciates it. I know I do too. Uh, if you're on social media, on Twitter, my personal Twitter account is at Joe underscore Lozito. And the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Sinbin Pod. If you uh, like to give me a follow on either or both, I will follow you back in kind. Facebook, facebook.com, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. So, my personal Twitter account is basically mostly sports stuff. Very rarely do I um, venture outside of that. Mostly sports. Every now and then I'll make fun of the political leaders here in New York. And leaders are in quotes. 
but most of the time it's pretty much sports and uh you know dumb shit and um as far as the twitter account for the show and the facebook and the instagram that's all islander enforcer related stuff so uh you're gonna see fight pictures uh islander enforcer birthdays stuff about the minor league affiliates um we already discussed the uh, Bridgeport Sound Tigers name change to the Bridgeport Islanders and what a mistake I think that is. Uh, but even going back further than that, you have Grizzlies, Springfield Indians, uh, Capital District Islanders, and so on and so on. So if you're a fan of the show, which I don't really like using the term fan, if, if you enjoy the show, you probably will enjoy the social media um, accounts that I have regarding the show. So maybe uh, check those out. And if you like the show to the point where you want to rep the show, uh, here on Long Island this weekend, we had a heat wave, 90 degrees uh, yesterday, 90 degrees today. Would have been great to have a Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box tank top for yourself, for your lady, for your man, who whatever you have, we have something for you. Uh, plenty of stuff in the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise store, two logos to choose from. Uh, scroll down. Uh, a little bit past the episode description, and you'll see two links. One link for one logo, one link for the other logo. Plenty of good stuff on there. Uh, onesies, kids' t-shirts, kids' sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, tank tops, socks, towels, uh, flags, just whatever you can think of, There, it's available there. And the listener-exclusive discount for this week is Bam Bam 20 B A M B A M two zero. So use code Bam Bam twenty when you check out, and you will get twenty percent off your entire order, regardless of which store you're in—the original logo or the secondary logo. Either way, use Bam Bam twenty twenty percent off. Uh, I'm happy to do it for you, and I am humbled by your support. The reason why I love promoting the merchandise is because of the logo. And the logo was done by local Long Island artist Joe Marisic. Joe is a great guy, and he's insanely talented. And I told Joe when he made the logo for me that I was going to talk about him every single episode. And if you're someone who listened to every, who has listened to every single episode, you know that I've kept my word. So if you're interested in having some art done, he does all different kinds of art. You can get at Joe at graphics joker on twitter or at loudegg.com joe's a real personable dude and like i said crazy talented so uh if you have any sort of art project coming up i would definitely definitely consider giving joe your business you would definitely not be disappointed so i had mentioned uh darren from the fourth line voice earlier darren has a podcast called fourth line voice Darren is the OG of the Enforcer-based podcasting genre. Hey, my voice cracked there. And uh, Darren is well over 100 episodes. His latest episode is uh, Sunday Shit Show. So if you're not familiar with his show, Darren does two episodes a week. He's in the Hockey Podcast Network, uh, Wednesdays and Sundays. Wednesdays, he has an Enforcer interview. Uh, his interviews are like mine. We're, we're very similar. We're very detailed. We always try to um, leave no stone unturned, and uh, which leads to very long interviews. But I'd like to think they're they're very good. I know Darren's interviews are awesome, uh, and those are on Wednesdays. Then Sundays, he kind of sums up the week. He gets a lot of material from um, Hockey Twitter and uh, Hockey Facebook, and he's usually spot on. I listened to his latest episode today, and 
Uh, again, he's spot on. I actually enjoy the Sunday episodes a lot. He doesn't he doesn't put much stock in those because he doesn't have a guest, but I, I thoroughly enjoy them. So I highly encourage you to go check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Check out his back catalog. The episode um, before the Sunday shit show, um, he has a, a recurring theme with a lot of his guests where he does the top five toughest opponents. Uh, the one before, the one from this past Wednesday was with uh, former Florida Panther, Carolina Hurricane, Joey Tedarenko, tough Western kid. And uh, Joey's awesome. He, he has, Joey has his own podcast himself. And um, for Islander fans, uh, Joey does mention a few uh, past Islanders enforcers uh, in that show. So Darren does a great job. And, um, you know, the, he has a very good rapport with the guests. Definitely worth your time to subscribe to his show. Check out his back catalog. You will not be disappointed. So please do me a favor. Go to Fourth Line Voice, subscribe to his show, and give it a listen. Darren also has a YouTube page, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. If you have watched the hockey fight on YouTube over the last, I don't know how many years, chances are it's on Darren's Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel. I believe he has over 2,500 videos on there now. He's uploading uh, new stuff all the time. And by new, I don't mean new. I mean new to YouTube. So um, good stuff. And uh, like I said, go there, hit that bell. I think the bell is where you get notifications or you subscribe. It's hockey fights. You're listening to this show for a reason. You like hockey fights. So uh, go check out his show. Go check out his YouTube page. Absolutely 100%. Guarantee you won't be disappointed. Uh, another friend of mine, Bobby Longgrass, the Bucket Drop Podcast. Bobby is basically, it, it's a hockey slash combat sports slash betting show and and his shows are mostly within the 10 to 20 minute range they're they're quick hit episodes the kind of episodes you can listen to squeeze it in if you got errands to run uh definitely you can listen to it and he brings a perspective from uh someone in ontario so he focuses a lot on the senators which are they're out of the playoffs but toronto and uh also his team which is montreal so uh definitely worth listening to bobby used to do a lot of interviews on on the previous incarnation of the bucket drop and i really enjoyed those interviews too so uh feel free to delve into his archives uh, again real good stuff but his newer uh the newest venture with with his show is just these quick hit 20, 20, you know, 15, 20 minute episodes, which are good too, but I do miss the interview sometimes. So, but again, you won't be disappointed. And like I said, uh, the five for fighting podcast will be back soon. I don't know when, but, uh, Alec is uh, getting ready to go again. And that's, uh, that's fantastic news for, um, fans of good podcasts and for hockey fight fans. Uh, you know, we're sort of like the three amigos when it comes to the enforcer podcast. So, um, Alec had uh, has some changes in his life now, and uh, everything seems real positive. And because of that, he's able to bring the show back, and uh, I can't wait. So keep an eye out for the Five for Fighting podcast. Again, check out his back catalog as well. Uh, one other thing I'd like to point out, when you go to my Twitter account, every day I post something about a GoFundMe. Uh, my friend Steve is doing a, Go, uh, a GoFundMe to try to raise money to bring back a website that chances are, if you're listening to this, you probably have frequented a few times in your life. And that's uh, website is Drop Your Gloves. And that website had fight cards for anyone and everyone who has ever had a hockey fight. And it was a, 
an invaluable resource to so many people, including the players. I know many players that utilize that website. And one day it was gone. The uh, the owner of the site just didn't want to be bothered anymore, didn't feel like selling it to people, uh, didn't feel like doing much of anything. So he kind of just shut it down. And um, Steve went and he did some research. He talked to some web designers and to do the site right, which I, I know Steve pretty well. And there's only one way he's going to do this, and that's to do it meticulously. And uh, I call him the rain man of hockey fights because his memory is insane and he's a perfectionist. So the, the website, if if we raise enough money, the website's going to be amazing. And um, when he spoke to these web designers, he was given an estimate of around $10,000. And we have almost five right now. So <clears throat> I would encourage everybody that's listening right now, if it's at all possible, if if there's any way you could even donate $5, because it kind of we kind of hit a wall with it. And uh, I can relate to, to the times being tough. Uh, as many of you know, I haven't worked since last May. I've been furloughed. So um, so times are tough for a lot of people, and I understand that. But uh, trying to see if everybody that's listening to this right now could at least donate 5 bucks. If you could donate more, that would be great. But if it's if it's at all possible, throw five bucks into the pot. The link is on my social media, on my Twitter. And the other thing is, if you can't donate, absolutely 100% understand. Like I said, I'm in that same boat. I've donated a little bit. I wish I could have donated more. But if you can't donate, please go on my social media and at least retweet my post because that costs nothing and you may have a bunch of followers that i don't have and then just that the gofundme becomes more visible so the retweet is free so if it's if if the if the least you can do is go on my social media and retweet my tweet about the gofundme then that's all i can ask and i appreciate it so thank you very much all right um i have spoken for how long right now uh, we're at 13 minutes. Okay. This one's not going to be uh, too long today. So we went over the sound tigers, uh, fight report last time it's complete. And I think we actually did the Islanders too. So, um, just to briefly remind you, uh, Bridgeport finished the year with 10 fights. Islanders finished the year with five fights. Uh, honestly, I thought there'd be more fights for the Islanders and, uh, especially playing just within the division. I'm a little surprised. Um, but, what can you do? And, um, you know, who knows, maybe going back to, you know, the regular schedule type next year, maybe we'll see it again. Who knows? But five in, um, 56 games is, uh, you know, I guess it is what it is, but I can't really complain. They're in the playoffs. They're tied two two right now. Big win yesterday. Um, and, uh, it's, it's so funny. It's so funny perspective, right? Because, all I keep reading on social media is how chippy the series is getting and how the Islanders are turning it into a street fight and all this other garbage. And it just makes me laugh because these are, people saying this obviously aren't old enough to remember when it used to be really violent. And uh, it's just so funny to read it. And I, I know... I know a few Penguin fans, and the ones that I know are, are good guys, like my friend Steve up in uh, Regina. I know he's a Penguin fan. He's a good guy and everything. But I, I got to be honest, their their fan base is, I mean, the biggest bunch of crybabies that I, I, I don't want to say that I've ever heard because um, it's just crazy. They just whine about everything. 
And then their writers, the the reporters that cover the team, oh my God, it, it it's just the stuff that they're writing in the series. It is just, it's crazy. It's crazy. They're, they see it through, you know, black and gold glasses, which I guess is fine for the fans, but uh, even if you're a beat writer, you gotta, I guess you gotta be sort of unbiased, but I mean, they're literally on Twitter tweeting like they're fans and it, it just, you know, I took some, some writing classes and some media classes in college back in the stone age. And one of the things was you can't, you have to be unbiased. You have to write about it. Even if it's your favorite team, you can't have a favorite team anymore in that position. If you're covering a team and these guys, they just, they don't give a shit. They are just so biased and they just whine. Oh, they're they're just whiny. So I started to think which fan bases are the most annoying. And and I've come up with two theories. Uh, I know most, people would probably think that I would say the Ranger fan base is the most annoying because back when there was a rivalry, they were pretty annoying, but I have to be honest with you. I don't think the Ranger fan base as annoying as they are. I don't think the Ranger fan base comes close to being as juvenile, immature and annoying as Penguins fans and Maple Leafs fans. And with both of those fan bases, you can include the media that covers the teams. Just, like I said, it's to me, it's so unprofessional. And I'm not saying it's unprofessional. They're the way they conduct themselves. Like, you know, they, they use slang or they, you know, I'm a, instead of, you know, I'm going to like, it's just unprofessional to, to be that much of a homer. Like I said, I was, I was always taught you don't want to be a homer. I, it, it's just amazing to me. I'm not used to that. So, but then I realize, and it's something I say all the time, and I say this to my wife a lot when it comes to social media, is that while there are millions of people on social media, it's still a fraction of the world. And most of these people, especially on Twitter, they're probably between 13 and or, and 30 maybe a little more than 30. I mean, there's plenty of older people on there like myself, but these are all people that they're in this generation now that it's the me generation, the whole thing, everything is about me and what's good for me and my team and anything against my team, you know, complaining about the officials where, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think the breaks that the Penguins get with the officials and Crosby gets with the officials is, is, and then they have these fans and the media have the nerve to say, Oh, they never get calls. They're, they're pro Islanders. It's mind blowing. Like they don't see it. And I think it's just, it's not while the Penguins fans and the Leafs fans are super annoying. I think it's just fans of every team that age that they just don't get it because these are the the spoiled kids, the kids that have never been told no. Um, all these kids, when they don't get their way, they don't know how to react. They don't, they've never been told no. So when they're told no or things don't go their way, they literally have no idea how to react. And they spaz out and they have these uh, written temper tantrums on Twitter. It's, it's mind blowing. So 
I would say Pittsburgh and Toronto still are the most annoying, but I think in general it's every fan base. And I'm not I'm not even taking the Islanders out of it because uh, obviously nobody that follows me or follows this show, you guys are all awesome. But there's a majority, no, not a majority, a portion of Islanders fans and hockey Twitter in general of in that age group that just they're out of their minds. They're absolutely out of, out of their minds. So um, that's what I think it is more than anything. I, I think Toronto, I think, is a unique story because I think people in Toronto think Toronto is the center of the universe to begin with. So I think it's a superiority complex with them. Uh, and, you know, it makes me wonder what a lot of these kids would have done in the 80s when the Leafs were pretty bad, how they would have survived this stuff, how they would have survived a bad Leafs team. Um, I don't know what they would have done. But I think with with Toronto, it's just the superiority complex that Torontonians have in general. And then it just expands out to their sports teams. Of course, not the Argos. God forbid they supported their football team. Um, And then with Pittsburgh, I think these Pittsburgh has had, you know, pre-Lemieux, they sucked. And then they sucked for a few years. They, they, you know, they, they got, you know, Crosby. We'll leave that one alone. Um, but these fans, they, a lot of these fans have never experienced bad Penguin teams, so they're spoiled and they don't they don't like to see when everything doesn't go the Penguins' way. So, uh, it's you know what? It's social media, and social media has been a very good tool for me to uh, reconnect with people and connect with people. So I take it for what it is, but. I, I see these people get into these long-winded battles with the other team's fans, and it's just crazy. But, I, I, you know, to be honest with you, the the writers, the, the writers in Toronto and uh, the writers in Pittsburgh or the media people in these cities, it's embarrassing. I mean, it really is. There's no other way to say it if you're a professional and you're writing the stuff you're writing. It's abs- You should be embarrassed. Absolutely 100% embarrassed. But... They write it. It's in the Pittsburgh papers. It's on the the media websites. And these lemmings read it and they go, yeah, yeah. The the refs want the Islanders to win and we never get breaks and blah. And it's just like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So that's my that's my little rant for the week. Just with the uh, with the Islanders winning yesterday and winning in dominant fashion. They all came out of the woodwork, the Penguins fans, the Penguins writers. So uh, it's pretty much fresh in my mind that they're a bunch of whiny bitches. So um, hopefully they go back to Sorokin tomorrow and uh, we have the same results from game one and game four. I think that's where he played. Yeah. And um, hopefully they close it out in six. I definitely, obviously I want the Islanders to win the Stanley Cup. I definitely, if they're not going to win the cup, I don't want them to be eliminated at home. I don't want the last game at the Coliseum to be a loss. And I definitely don't want it to be a loss to these shitbirds. So anyway, on to the interview. Ken Belanger, him and I have been going back and forth for a while. He's a very busy dude. Uh, the fact that I was able to get this much time from him is, uh, it was a real treat for me. Uh, we discuss in the interview, um, just all the stuff he's doing now, 
So you'll understand then. So it's a, it's a big treat for me to get this much time. And just so you know, at about 15 minutes into when we start the interview, I don't exactly know what happened, but um, the recorder kind of glitched a little bit. So it's, it, for about two, three, four seconds, it, I kind of had to restart it. So it's, but, but it's, it's pretty seamless other than that. But uh, I had that minor glitch. So that's there too. But um, other than that, it's uh i've uh i've spoken now for 23 minutes which is probably a record for my intros please sit back relax and enjoy kenny bam bam belanger have a great week folks ladies and gentlemen welcome back to coliseum chronicles the penalty box today is a big deal for me i have someone who uh who i met a very long time ago upon his acquisition by the islanders he's someone who uh, i'm a very big fan of he's someone that made a big impact when he came to the Islanders, and now he's an entrepreneur. I can't wait to get into that with you. Uh, he's got his hands in a lot of things. Um, and uh, like I said, talk about making an impact. When this guy came to the Islanders, he definitely did just that. And spoiler alert, in one of my upcoming episodes, when I do my top 10 Islander enforcers of all time, this guy will definitely be on it. Welcome to the Penalty Box, Ken Belanger. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, Kenny. This is a this is a big deal for me, and I appreciate it. So, um, so like I like I said when we uh, when we chatted yesterday, we're gonna pretty much go through your career. Uh, and the first question that I ask everybody is, um, if I had a time machine and I went back in time to see a young Ken Belanger uh, on the ponds or the rinks of uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, uh, who were you as a kid? Who was your hockey hero as a kid? Well. My hockey hero was uh, growing up was Wayne Gretzky, and it was pretty obvious why someone could follow him as a as a um, as a I want to want to use the word mentor because he wasn't a mentor, but as someone who you could look up to as an idol, it was incredible because Gretzky obviously dominated through the '80s. The Oilers were my team because uh, obviously we always got to watch them in the playoffs, and so they were they were my team. But um, as I uh, as I grew older and started understanding the game more my uh my direction changed into a player uh, cam neely was one of my favorite all-time players a two-way player tough and rugged and i like to model myself um when i was in junior kind of after uh after cam neely well you did an excellent job of that that's for sure and that's a pretty good mentor he's uh actually the two guys you mentioned are two guys that i get a lot a lot of guys say wayne gretzky and then a lot of guys say cam neely so so you're in very good company um Moving forward to uh, to 1991, uh, I don't know what league this is. The GNML, the Sault Ste. Marie North Stars, is that uh, midget or junior B or something like that? What, yeah, what that, the... that, yeah, that would have been midget hockey up here in Sault Ste. Marie. And you had a, you had a, uh, and one of the things I always say when I interview you guys is. It's my contention that when you guys, no matter what level it is, when you have a coach that lets you play, you can always do more than fight. And this is a good example. You got uh, 53 points, 43 games, 169 penalty minutes. And you, you played with a guy who uh, I found out you're very close to. And uh, I reached out to him yesterday uh, to see if he had any good stories. And he did. And we'll get to that in a few minutes. But uh, tell me about playing with the young Sylvain Cloutier. Oh, interesting. Um well, uh, Kluge come in from Quebec with his family, uh, not really speaking much English. And uh, I remember when he came in, his, his Danny, his younger brother, didn't play hockey at all. And uh, so my parents friended his parents. Um, and, uh, you know, we 
we become pretty close and had a good relationship. Our families were tight and um, uh, Danny evolved as a goalie as well and had a great prosperous career. And um, Savannah and I had different paths in junior. He went to Guelph. I was in Ottawa and uh, fortunately got traded to Guelph um, second half of my junior um, career. And uh, we got to play there and uh, we're uh, really good friends and, um, he lives in Barrie now. He's got a life going on there, and I got my life here right now. So we don't get to spend this time as as we want, but uh, um, a lot of good memories growing up with him. Now you were drafted, as you mentioned, by uh, the Ottawa 67s, one of the really renowned franchises in all of junior hockey. Uh, was there a part of you that wanted to go to the Greyhounds, or were you just happy to get into uh, major junior hockey? You know what? I, I this may sound stupid, but I had the only thing I wanted to do was play hockey when I grew up that I, I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I wanted to play hockey. I seen it on TV. To me, it was reality mm-hmm. that I was going to play there. Um, so I didn't know anything about the OHL draft before I was drafted. I didn't have an agent. Um, I didn't know anything really about the NHL draft. I just, I didn't know the process. I just seen the Greyhounds and I seen the NHL and I was going to play there. Mm-hmm. So, we went to Kitchener for my draft and really didn't have any idea. We sat there and waited and I didn't know whether I was going to get picked or not. And uh, the only team I didn't want to get picked by because I didn't like the jerseys were Ottawa. I hated the barber pole jerseys. I'm like, those jerseys are brutal. I, <laughs> I don't, I don't care about any other team, but I don't like those barber stripe jerseys. <laughs> Lo and behold, who do I get picked by Ottawa? Um, so but that was the uh, turning point of uh, the positive for my career because, uh, uh, first of all, I was uh, pretty quiet and shy. And Ottawa, being um, you know, one of the furthest places away from the Sioux, uh, made me uh, make a choice to grow up or go home. And so I found it very challenging my first year to, to move away and be completely isolated because we only come to the Sioux once. And it wasn't a weekend trip um, that anyone could come up because of the distance. So, so that was one big aspect that had to really make me uh, mature quick. And then second, it was Brian Kilray um, was instrumental in in mentoring me um, to to become who I needed to be to be a player. So um, I was very fortunate to start in Ottawa um, uh, at the beginning of my career. Yeah, I was going to ask you about playing for Coach Kilray. We were fortunate here to have him on the island as an assistant coach for a little bit. And, uh, I mean, you can't talk about junior hockey without talking about Brian Kilray. So, for those of you who may be uh, younger listeners that weren't alive when Brian Kilray was here on the Islanders, maybe do some research on him. The guy is an absolute legend. Um, when you went to uh, Ottawa camp that year, I believe Chris Simon was still there, right? Because I think he got traded early in the season. But was he in uh, in that first camp with Ottawa with you? Yeah, he was. He was there, but he was in. He was drafted by Philly pretty high, so he spent most of the training camp. He was in Philadelphia, but yeah, he he come back um, during as the season started. But yeah, he was there. Okay. Um, and unfortunately for, for someone like myself, there's not a lot of footage of you out there from, from the OHL. Uh, a couple of fights that are out there is uh, fights with uh, everybody that listens to this show knows how much I love the guy. A couple of fights with Eric Cairns. Uh, you were both really young, really big guys, and you did very well against him. Uh, do you remember the fights with uh, Cairnsy? I do. Um, it, was in, uh, it was in Detroit. 
and I, I remember it well because when I when I hit him, I, I did knock him out. And, you know, unfortunately, the way it is, but I broke my hand. Oh. So I had I had to ride back all the way to Ottawa with a broken hand. Ugh. So I, I remember that clear from Detroit to Ottawa was uh, was a long bus ride. Um, to wait to go to the to the hospital to get a cast and get get my hand placed. So I do I do remember that incident. Now there were some, and again, like I said, I don't have a lot of info on on some of your some of the other guys that you may have fought, but there were absolutely some real tough guys in the league at the time. Uh, guys like Ryan Vandenbush, Dennis Bonvi, Barry Potomsky, uh, someone that is uh, very well known to a lot of the Quebec League fans, a guy like Jason Clark. Uh, what were your impressions that first year uh, in the OHL? You know, going up a league and playing against some of these guys. Well. To tell you the truth, fighting something I've never promoted or never talked about or never worked on or never practiced. Um, I think I done well in fighting because I've always fought out of fear of losing mm-hmm. um, and respecting my opponents. Um, I'm a pretty, pretty passive, aggressive person. I'm passive in the aspect of let's all work together. But if we don't work together, I can get real aggressive real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a guy that deals on principles. Um, and when I see something wrong, I'm not afraid to stick up for my teammates. Um, and so, you know, going into junior, I mean, I had no intentions of, of, of fighting, uh, whatsoever. I, I just, I think I like to just to play hard. And if I seen something wrong, someone done something wrong to one of my teammates, um, I didn't have an issue establishing some respect for us. Um, so um, you know, I, I, I was scared going into every game where I knew there was, you know, there was that potential and Matt Johnson was in Peterborough and there, there were some big guys, um, that were, that were in the league and the league was, you know, was, was way tougher. I mean, you know, it was way more aggressive and physical. Um, that's just how the game was. Now, uh, after your first year in Ottawa, you were uh, drafted by Hartford. So um, nowadays, I mean, I'm, you're you're right in the middle of it. You're in Ontario. You know the coverage that these prospects get, and just leading up to the draft. Um, and it was a lot different back then uh, when you were drafted. So I guess my question is: uh, Did a lot of teams contact you? Did you have a lot of interviews? Did you expect to be drafted? Well, I I talked to no teams. Okay. Um, Prior to the draft, I, I once again naive to the fact of what the NHL draft was because I didn't know. You know, I was playing in my backyard rink, <laughs> and I was drafted to the OHL, and then the year later, I was drafted to the NHL. So once again, we just packed up. Uh, my family packed up a truck and a tent trailer, and we drove to Montreal. Camped along the way, uh, we drove to Montreal, and the draft was in the forum, mm-hmm. and it was kind of. Uh, momentum for me because my grandpa was there and he was a Montreal fan. Nice. So being in Montreal in the forum, um, you know, leading up to the draft, I, I, I didn't have an agent until I got to Ottawa. And then, you know, killers like you need, you need an agent. You're, you're rated. Um, so I was rated mid third round, um, which still didn't mean anything to me. So um, I had uh, Larry Kelly uh, as an, as an agent um, cause he was from Ottawa. So, I was able to uh, get him as an agent, but uh, that year, the draft, um, they opened up the European market where the Euros were able to come in as a free agent as opposed to the expenses and the cost, so they dropped down the fees. Mm-hmm. 
So there was, so everybody, all the whole draft kind of got screwed up because there was guys that were, you know, 24, 25, they were getting drafted first and second round. Um, so it bumped everybody back um, in terms of the draft. So, but once again, I didn't have high expectations from my agent or my family that I was supposed to go this and if I didn't. So, you know, we sat there um, throughout the day and, you know, seventh round come around and Hartford picked me. Um, it was somewhat of a, a surreal moment because once again, you know, being in a small community, not around any big, big events, um, just being in the forum was, a, was a big event for us alone. And then to have, you know, Hartford Whalers, it was still kind of surreal. Okay. Now they picked me now what, right. So now you go down the floor, you grab a Jersey. And um, so it was, uh, it was um, an experience that someone who was drafted could understand. It's hard to explain the experience to someone who wasn't drafted because, um, it's a once in a lifetime thing for people, right? Yeah. Um, so now you're, you're a big dude, you're, but you're a kid and now you're going into your first NHL tr- uh, training camp with Hartford. And, uh, mm-hmm. the coach there is a guy who's a legendary, legendary enforcer, good player. One, you know, American guy, Paul Holmgren. What was, uh, what was your experiences like with Homer? Yeah. Like I think Brian Burke was there as well. Right. So, oh Brian- yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so put Brian Burke and Paul Holmgren together in a room. Let's <laughs> see what type of chemistry we got here. So I was scared. Um, I was 18, and I was scared. I showed up, and these guys are there with beards. And my dad, I was 18. My dad was, I think, 36 when I was drafted. So when I went to camp, I mean, the NHL was older when I was when I went in, like the guys were older, they, they wore beards and it was, it was a more mature league. Like guys weren't going into camp at 18 and 19 years old. Like guys were, it was a, it was a man's game. It was a, a real mature game uh, years ago mm-hmm. in terms of the age demographic. So I, I went in and guys, these guys are like full blown beards. And I'm like, Oh, I don't even want to be here right now. Cause I don't belong <laughs> here. I was just like, just send me back to junior. I'm fine with it. So um, I was, uh, um, I was, it was a different experience. It was, at, I remember it was at the university of Vermont and had a roommate and met him and stuff, but it was, uh, it wasn't an experience that I was like, I, I'm so happy I'm here because right. I really, once again, it moved so fast from where, you know, I'm playing in my backyard to I'm in Ottawa to now I'm in Hartford Whalers. It was kind of a, a real quick two-year window. I mean, we've been in COVID for the second year. Look how quick. I mean, my life changed that quick, right? Yeah. From a high school guy to OHL to NHL. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never really had time to absorb it. Uh, but I, I did, I really didn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, Cause I was, it was, I was so out of my element. Mm-hmm. Now there were a few guys that were in camp with you. And I, I know some teams, group everyone together and some teams keep the rookies and the veterans apart. Uh, there's a couple of guys that were there with you that I happen to know. And I know they're good guys, guys like Jimmy McKenzie, Mark Jansen. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you have any, um, any opportunity to maybe pick their brains or chat with those guys? I didn't. Once again, I, I, I was pretty quiet and shy yeah. mm-hmm. moving in. It was my, after my first year of junior. So I kind of just, and I think I sprained my ankle my first year, so I did some therapy. And but uh, no, I I didn't uh, I did I did not 
ask questions. Uh, I, I wasn't as educated. Obviously, what I know now, how do you learn? You learn by asking, right? Ask older people. So um, I was just taking it all in when I was there. I got you. And then I think they had some other – not that you were going to make the team at 18. I mean, really, you know, it's the first couple of guys in the first round I'm going to make the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there were guys there that I think were trying to make an impression also. Uh, maybe guys like Jim Agnew, Barry Nightcar. Did uh, mm-hmm. you have any run-ins with those guys at all? I didn't. No, not uh, – training camp was pretty quiet for me. Okay. I didn't uh, – yeah, no. I was still trying to figure out who I was going to be or what I needed to be as a player. Got you. Uh, so then you go back to the OHL, you start the year in Ottawa, play 34 games, uh, then you get traded to Guelph, and was, uh, I don't know who you got traded for, but was Freddie Oduya and Brent Pope yeah. two of those guys? Yeah, Freddie Oduya was, so the, the worst part about that trade was, um, I got traded to Guelph, mm-hmm. but Guelph was playing in Ottawa in, in two nights. Okay. So the hardest part was my first game was against Ottawa in Ottawa. Oh, so it was just like, are you kidding me right now? Like I just got <laughs> traded to Guelph, which is okay. Yeah. But then now, so I had to pretty much what happened was my, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, the package parcels was the uh, player guy there at the time. And he, uh, he, he drove, the team was in Kingston cause they were playing there. Mm-hmm. So he drove up to Ottawa and uh, picked me up and drove me back to Kingston to be with the team in the hotel. I, I missed the game. I wasn't there. So I, so I met up with, that's where I met up with Kluge and the boys. And, uh, and so I stayed there that night. And then the next day I drove back to Ottawa with the team mm-hmm. and ate in a hotel. And I had my billets packed my bags. Okay. So after the game, they brought my stuff and we put it on the bus to see you later. So it was, it was, um, once again, so I got traded for Freddie Otulia. So I fought him that night mm-hmm. and knocked him out. Yeah. And I scored a goal. And nice. of course, the headline says, "Why couldn't you do that when you're with us?" Oh fuck! In, in the Ottawa <laughs> paper, so I'm like, "Wow." <laughs> um, so it was a it was a character building game because you have an established relationship and friendships with your friends and then the next game you're sitting on the other bench and have to compete against them in your own barn yeah um so it was um an experience that i it once again and anyone who's ever done it who's ever played their first game against their home team on the other bench it doesn't happen too often but it's it's um it's a very unique scenario where you're like holy shit am i supposed to be competing hard against these guys Mm. Um, so, um, but yeah, so it was, uh, it was, I mean, it was a good trade, um, to, to move to, to Guelph and, and different, different experience to travel living in Guelph was, was way less than Ottawa, but, uh, yeah. The, uh, the trade, it seems like if you go by your numbers worked out well for your 24 points, 29 games, you played with, um, some pretty good players here in Guelph, uh, O'Neill was there and Vandebush, uh, tough guy, Aaron Downey, uh, yep. Alex Stoyanov, uh, mm-hmm. you were back with Klutz, uh, Nigeria Nightmare, Ruman Endor, uh, Todd Bertuzzi. So the, the Guelph team, I'm assuming, was a better team than the Ottawa team, correct? It was. And, you know, when you look at when you, I mean, there's obviously not a lot of people old. The older people would recognize those names. Yeah. If you looked at that roster, I'm like, there was like eight guys that were drafted pro. Yeah. How, how, how did we not do better? I mean, we didn't do better because I mean, there was uh there was the, 
the Detroit Compu where I had the Bob Brandon. So they had guys that were getting yeah. Brown. They were getting 115 points mm. a year, 120 points a year. The whole each guy in a line. So um, it disappointing when you look at the roster that we didn't do better than we did. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was uh, the, the the team was a it was a close team, um, but it was a, a highly drafted team, a pro pro drafted team as well. Now, uh, I mentioned that I reached out to Sly, and I also reached out to Rooms um, mm. about uh, if they wanted me, uh, they said, I said, you know, can I bring uh, anything up, anything memorable, like I said, because there's not a ton of OHL stuff out there on you. And uh, they both brought up the same thing, uh, and they said that uh, maybe ask you about a uh, practice fight that you had with uh, another Islander, with an Islander draft pick. Todd Bertuzzi uh do you remember uh, the fight with Todd in uh, practice well I do um I'm very strong on principle and when I got traded to Guelph Todd um Todd was an extremely skilled player but he liked to run his mouth and chirp people mm-hmm. everybody and he always got away with it because of his size no one really, no one wanted to challenge him because he intimidated so many people because of his size. Mm-hmm. And when I first got traded to Guelph, he was, he was still trying to establish himself, I guess, as maybe he's the guy. And, and there was an exchange in a battle and I just had enough of his shit. And so we dropped our gloves and I actually knocked him, knocked his tooth out in the fight, knocked him down. And, but you know what? He, uh, the day went on and, you know, we ended up playing together years later and it was part of the game. So, um, I, I do remember it. I mean, do we talk about fighting teammates hundred percent now, but it's, it's talking about principle and establishing, establishing, um, respect. And that's something I demanded from people and I gave respect to people. So I've, I'm always about, you know what, if you respect me and I respect you, we'll be fine. when, if I disrespect you, then I deserve something back. And if you just disrespect me, well, there's going to be a problem. It's and that's what this world is all about. There's it's just no respect anymore for each other's space and beliefs, right? And so, right. I just felt he disrespected me, and mm-hmm. I had an issue with that. And I'm sure after that, maybe things weren't. I don't know if they were great, but I'm sure they were better. A lot of times, when stuff like that happens the, the whole relationship changes after that it's like okay you build a respect for each other after that now i don't yep. know if that was the case but i'm sure it was yeah, better it was. than it was Absolutely. there was no that happened and it was there and gone the next mm-hmm. day there wasn't even no hard feelings yeah yeah and i think some people may not understand that but i certainly do and i'm sure the people that are listening to this definitely understand that so uh now you went to second training camp with Hartford, and and I think a lot of the guys that were there the first year were gone. I think they had, uh, I know maybe Jim McKenzie was still there in the beginning. Yep. Mark Jansen's. Uh, I think they brought in Mark Potvin also. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was this training camp. I know there was a training camp in Hartford where they actually brought in Jay Caulfield and Lyndon Byers. I don't know if that was this camp also or not. You know what I. I don't remember how, I don't know mm-hmm. if LB was there. Mm-hmm. I think Caulfield was there. Okay. But uh, yeah, but you know what they established, I mean, with having Burke and those older guys, yeah. they, they, it was separated in terms mm-hmm. of what teams, like we had, you had your, your A squad and you, there was two groups. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was never in the top group of players. I was always in the second group. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't, I didn't skate with those guys. 
How how was your second camp as opposed to your first? Did you have a little more confidence going in? Because and not, again, confidence is always subjective. But I guess compared to your first camp, uh, because you had been through one already, did you feel a little bit more comfortable? I was more comfortable, but I I still wasn't I still wasn't ready to play or make the NHL. Mm-hmm. Like I still was comfortable back in junior, but it was a, definitely a different experience mm-hmm. um, of playing. Yeah. But I I still wasn't fully mature enough to comprehend the fact that this this is this is real, right? So so I enjoyed it a bit more, but um, I didn't go there with any intentions of making the team. Gotcha. Uh, there's someone I want to ask you about from from the second year in Guelph, who I've become very friendly with over uh, social media, and he really uh, he's put his. Uh, his issues that he's gone through and that he continues to go through because every day is a battle. Uh, he puts everything out there, and I think what he's doing for for people is uh, is amazing because he's putting his story out there, he's putting his life out there, and I think he's actually writing a book. Uh, and that's Pat Barton. Uh, what are your memories of playing with Bart? Yeah, you know what? Um, it's amazing with the secrets people don't share when you're going through the moment because you don't understand yourself how to share it. Mm-hmm. And obviously with evolution, communication and, and having issues has become more public and okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think playing with, you know, when playing with Bart's, um, uh, everyone's trying to figure themselves out and, you know, him coming, living in a bigger market, there's way more pressure mm-hmm. on becoming a pro player because you got more competition around you and you got, you know, you've got more resources of uh, of things to take to do to become better, right? It's right in your face, and if because guys are doing it and you see it, so you know, my memories with him were there was, you know, he was always that happy, smiling. You know, there was never a mental breakdown issue, but mm-hmm. I don't even think at the time he would even identify it or realize that there was any issues. Right. I think you're, when you're right. just establishing yourself, it's like, I'm just, this is what it is, right? This is, this is my normal yep. until you get to a point in your life where it's like, Holy fuck, my normal is not normal. I shouldn't be, this is not normal. I shouldn't feel this way. Right. And problem is too, is when you're living in a closet with skeletons and the skeletons keep piling up and your closet gets full. Mm-hmm. Then when your closet's full, then it just explodes, right? So, yep. you know, I think starting in junior, you just started throwing the, you know, you're 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 going through a lot of different changes and all the different experiences and emotions. And junior hockey's fun though, right? You're a bunch mm-hmm. of teenage boys and you get to hang out at a rink and you get to go to school together and make jokes and you know you get to go on the bus together. So it's fun, right? There's not yeah. there's not a lot of pressure of junior hockey, um, but then as you as you as you get older, you understand more, and you know pressure compiles, and as it piles, more skeletons you got in your closet, the less you could manage and deal with. Right. So, I'm I'm proud that he's speaking about it. I follow mm-hmm. him and see what he's doing. I mean, yeah. I haven't spoken to him, but um, I follow what he's saying and doing, and it's, I think it's great, and it gives some courage and other people who don't have as much to step up and speak and talk, and it's okay. Oh, definitely. Uh, I just want to go back to the two guys that I, I asked you about. Uh, just want to tell you what uh, Sly said about you. Uh, he said that uh, you were in each other's wedding parties, 
you're a great guy, great teammate. Yet you took care of him, and he was able to play his style because of uh, because of you. So he wanted me to uh, definitely let you know that. And then I want to give you the opportunity because I don't know Sly that well, but I do know Rooms pretty well. And I always talk about the one thing I think about when I think of Rooms is his smile. Like the guy's always happy, he's always smiling. Uh, and is that like a memory that you had playing with the guy? Like I just, he never seems like he's in a bad mood. And I guess even when he's 80 years old, I'm going to think of his goofy smile as a 20 year old. Yeah, he is. And memories, I mean, with Kluch and, uh, you know, the, the friendships that we, the memories that we've created is, is something that we cherish and, you know, we don't get to spend a lot of time together, but, um, and then rooms is, you know, like you said, he's always that big, always the big smile and, you know, the Nigerian nightmare where, you know, he's, he's that he's, he, he wears the two hats. He's the same scenario. Like he's the, the nicest, quietest guy in the world. But then if, if you push the wrong button, it's, you know, there, there's going to be a big problem. Yeah. Um, uh, he, he takes it to the next level and, uh, you know, he had, uh, obviously a shortened career. I know he had concussions and some issues and, and whatnot. And, uh, but, uh, the memories that we have as teenagers as well are, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time together. Um, I spent a lot of time at their bill at home. And so we've, uh, you know, once again, those are memories that are, uh, nothing but positive and a part of my life that, uh, that I was, uh, growing and developing. Now you're, you're in, uh, I guess towards the home stretch of your season in Guelph, and then you find out that you were part of a trade and you're becoming a, a Toronto Maple Leaf. How did you find out and what was your reaction? Well, it was, uh, it was um, an extremely excited moment, but not as excited as I should have been. Mm-hmm. Um, because once again, when you're living in the moment, mm-hmm. you don't like, that was kind of normal to me. Like I was a hockey player. So this is kind of the process mm-hmm. where I wasn't a fan. I was a player. And so I got traded to Toronto, which was like, Oh, that's cool. I got to trade the Leafs. That's awesome. <laughs> where I should have been like, are you kidding me? Like I got traded to the Leafs. Like that's unreal. <laughs> um, so that trade um, impacted me for the rest of my life, um, which I didn't realize at the time. Um, because, you know, playing with Toronto uh, at the time though, it was, it was difficult because Pat Burns, um, was a, a phenomenal coach and guy, um, who I had in Boston as well. And, um, so he, he, he liked me and, and we had a good relationship, but he was very loyal to his, um, veteran players. Mm-hmm. So he had no interest in rookies. The rookies were to pay their dues and the minors and, and earn your spot. And I, and you know what, that, that was at the time it, it was frustrating, but it, you know what, at the end of the day it was, it was a character building move that he was trying to establish maturity and respect levels. So uh, playing with Toronto was, you know, becoming part of the leaf alumni and fraternity. And I didn't get a ton of NHL games and we got enough games in to be a leaf alumni. Mm-hmm which gives me, you know, gives me one of the strongest, um, biggest alumni, you know, in the world. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, my first game was uh, on Hockey Night in Canada um, in Maple Leaf Gardens. And there's not a lot of people that could say that. And once again, uh, Dougie Gilmore, Wendell Clark, Felix Potvin, you know, Dave Ellett, um, the, the lineup was 
was phenomenally stacked. And I remember walking out of the tunnel and it was surreal. I was like, are you kidding me right now? Like, this is like, this is not real. I'm like, I'm walking out. I look out, I'm like in Maple Leaf Gardens. And I'm like, I, like I, I was scared out of my mind. Cause I was like, holy shit. Like I'm in, like I'm skating around and you see Don Cherry and Ron McLean in the corner. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? That's Don <laughs> Cherry. I'm like, there's Ron McLean. I'm like, and um, so it was against Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not a lot of people in this world that can say they played their first NHL game for the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto on Hockey Night in Canada. So that memory um, is something that I'll cherish from my whole life. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that's the uh, Toronto stint. I was going to ask you about going to camp with Toronto. Now you're an Ontario kid. And as much as I love the whalers and the history of the whalers, just be, yeah, I get sentimental about the old stuff. I prefer it to the new stuff. Uh, going to training camp in Hartford is a universe away from going to training camp with Toronto. Uh, it had to be night and day going to your first camp with the Leafs in terms of media and things like that. It was, and I had no idea what to to expect because being with the Leafs, and once again, I still didn't, you know, being from Northern Ontario, like, I mean, everyone, obviously everyone knows the Leafs, but not, no one understands the fan popularity the Leafs have. Like they are, it's, it's, it's kind of overwhelming with, with support, which almost borderline too overwhelming because there's so many hardcore fans that just love hockey and understand hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in training camp, I mean, I, I was just going into the mall for a walk and they're like, Hey, there's Ken Balazs. I'm just like, Hey, Hey, what's up? Like, <laughs> so it's kind of, didn't matter where you went, everybody knew who you were. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was kind of like, Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Everyone, but it was kind of like, yeah, so there's no hiding. Like, I mean, you're, you're a leaf and everybody knows who you are, whether you're a St. John Maple Leaf or a Toronto Maple Leaf, leaf fans are hardcore and you're identified pretty quick in the city. It's a great place to play when things are going well, I bet. But uh, if things aren't going well, you just want to crawl into a hole. It is. Uh, it's a market that, if you're an established player, yeah, it's a great market to come back because the fans are going to love you and support you. But when you're trying to create um, a marketplace for yourself, mm-hmm. it's an extremely challenging place, and because the fans know hockey, yeah. That's the problem. Like they know the game. They know you should have made that pass. They know you shouldn't have done that. They know. So there's, there's so much accountability because those fans are living their life through you mm-hmm. and they're educated. Right. So, and, and, and they see something wrong and they're going to tell you whether they, whether you want to hear it or not. So <laughs> it is a challenging place to, to make mistakes. Now you spent most of the year uh, in St. John's that year, and you guys had a pretty tough team, which which everyone did in the American League at that time. Uh, yeah, it was pretty. You, you had a you had two pretty good guys to to do the heavy lifting with you there, and I'm not taking anything away from guys like Elihu and Trent Call, uh, but you, Frankie Bialowis, and Ryan Vandebush are pretty formidable. What was it like playing with those guys? Yeah, it was. If uh, <laughs> it was pretty intense. Um, <laughs> Games exploded pretty quick. I mean, but once again, I mean, when we played, you know, playing in the Maritimes, the the lifestyle is they're pretty um they're they're like wonderful people. The communities are hardcore, they're very loyal. There's a lot of respect in those communities, um, based on what they do for a living. Um, and they expected um our game 
to be that way in terms of respect, in terms of hard-nosed, gritty. And the American League, when I played, was a league of its own. Like, it wasn't really a, a true development league because, you know, the, the, there was no grandfather rule. There was no, you can only have so many pro games. The American League teams were playing to win the Calder Cup. Yeah. They weren't playing to develop for the NHL team. Like, if you weren't good enough, you weren't playing. They weren't trying to develop you as a player. They were playing to win. So their whole, their teams were older and every team had five or six tough guys. And when, you know, shit got crazy real quick, one guy hit a guy and all of a sudden you got full explosions and the fans were going nuts because the barns, they were right on top of you. And it was a very unique experience um, that I will always remember playing in the East coast. Um, but it was tough. I mean, and playing with the animal and bushy, I mean, not too often you get, you get in a team where you've got two guys that are as tough or tougher than you. It takes a lot of pressure off one guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also, you know, it didn't take much to ignite fireworks every night when you got guys like that in your lineup. Um, but our team was tough. Like we had, you know, we had toughness all the way through. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was a pretty incredible experience. Now, up until that point, had you ever, and like we mentioned Frankie and uh, Bushy there, you, I think your personality is more along the lines of uh, Bushy's personality, where Frank is in a league of his own. I was fortunate enough to meet him uh, a few times. Had you ever met anyone or played with anyone quite like Frankie at the time? I have never met a person at the time or in the rest of my life like the animal. <laughs> he... Um, <laughs> I could write a book on him, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I couldn't. Yeah. Um, but he his his character personality was he's he's a teddy bear with mm-hmm. with a pitchfork in his hand mm-hmm. um, that would do anything for his teammates um, to back them up. And the stories that you would hear from him, you would think are fake mm-hmm. un- until you knew him. That yeah. there's there's a real like yeah. his life his life that he led up to becoming for him even to be a hockey player was, was incredible Mm -hmm. Um, for him to even manage to being a pro athlete was incredible. Like for him to actually make the NHL to be in Toronto was incredible based Mm -hmm. on his, his story. And anyone who knows him knows his story. It's pretty, it's pretty intense and pretty deep. And um, it's, it's all over the map in terms of, of his life. I I think, I don't know if anyone will ever be able, well, I know for a fact, no one will ever be able to match, what he done and still become a pro athlete. Yeah. Um, but, uh, his, uh, his heart is bigger than his fists. I can yeah. tell you that much. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll never forget when I was still living in New York and we went down to Philly for a game, uh, when he was at the Phantoms and two minutes into the game, the whole place is chanting, we want Frank. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so great. I, I was like, this is amazing. And then you meet the guy and he's just this animal out there literally. And then you meet the guy yeah. after the game and you talk to him a few times. And like you said, he's a big teddy bear. He's just an unbelievable human being, but what a character. They had uh, in Philly when we were there, um, they had animal night and they had his head on popsicle yep. stick mm-hmm. and they used to, count down when he's in the penalty box the whole crowd would count five four <laughs> three it's just like is this really happening right now like who are you yep. like it was so bizarre mm-hmm. but it was almost like a movie or like 
are the fans like, and there were like 10,000 people, yeah. like they were packed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are they really counting down for you to get out of the box? Like, are you serious <laughs> right now? And he was just, he'd have his little grin. And cause we were, but like, we were buddies, like yeah. we're tight and mm-hmm. we're like, we're not fighting each other no matter what the crowd wants. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, I'm like, are you serious? Like, are they actually counting down? And he gives us a little, yeah, yeah, they're counting the down for you. They want, wow. they want the animal, man. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God. There, there was a time where he was probably the second most popular hockey player in the city behind Lindros. I think he was, he may have been more popular than Leclerc. I think Lindros may have been the only one that sold more jerseys at one point. I, I would, I would definitely believe that yeah. based on what I saw when we played. We're in Philly. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. Now, you mentioned your first NHL game, so I was going to ask you about that, but you covered that. Uh, your second NHL game was in Chicago, and that was mm-hmm. in the old stadium, correct? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. What was that like playing in that uh, Chicago stadium? Well, you know what? When I got called up, um, I was uh, 20. So I was 20 years old when I was there. So um, I was still... I, I was still a kid like I still wasn't you know I wasn't a, a, I wasn't a, an older 20 year old I was still like holy shit now we're you know I'm in Toronto now now we're now we're flying with the team and now we're in Chicago um so they had um a couple tough guys um, Smith and Cummings and and so um I tried to challenge uh Cummings and he declined and I was fine so I was skating off and and I, I see a video and he cross-checked me from behind right into the board at the door. Yep. And uh, I got up and I lost it because I was just like, what the hell happened? I was going after him and then Greg Smith come across and grabbed me and we got into a fight and he hit me a few times. I was already stunned from hitting the board. So um, it was a very quick, unique uh, memory um, being in Chicago um, for, for that game. But it was uh, – the the environment of the old arena was incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah. We'll talk about Jimmy a little bit later because uh, there was the, uh, the you got your come up and so you got your opportunity to get him later on the island. And I have an interesting story about that from uh, his perspective. Uh, we go to your next year in St. John's. You really came into your own that year, uh, and and it's weird because we we talked about your first year there where you had guys like Bushy, you had guys like Frankie there to, to help you with the heavy lifting that second year with St. John's, you had guys like Shane Toporowski, Rob Butts. Uh, but I think you were the undisputed number one guy there, but you also, I, I think you took that next step as a player. Also uh, you made the AHL all-star team. You scored a goal in the game. Um, what was, uh, did you feel like, uh, I mean, when you're a player, can you, can you kind of feel that you're like when things are going right? Like, is that how it felt that year with St. John's? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like anything in life when people don't give you confidence, it's so hard to succeed when people give you the tools and confidence, you, you, you're by default automatically better, whether you want to be or not. If I just, if I tell you that your podcast sucks, no one's going to listen and your terrible interview, your questions are bad. Well, it, you're you're gonna feel like a piece of shit, and you may believe me. But if I told you, you know what, your questions are bang on, got a great tone, you got great rollout, you've done your due diligence, you know, you're you've done a ton of homework with players. It's great job. Well, you're gonna feel that as well, and you may say, you know what, 
maybe he's right. Maybe I do got something good. So when people give you the tools to become better, you automatically become better. When they give you the tools to fail, you fail. I mean, so especially when you're learning and you're looking for people for guidance. And so, you know, I found obviously coming into my second year, I I had an opportunity. Um, I think I played with Darby Hendrickson and Kelly Fairchild, um, who went on and had some good careers. Um, I was established. So I was like the coaches, you know, Tom Watt was like, and Mike Felino was coaching there. And Mike was a great mentor and helped me out. And they were like, you know what, we're going to, we're, you're given, you're going to get a chance to play. And when I knew you're getting a regular shift, well, everything becomes easier mm-hmm. and you play with confidence and you play with confidence, shit starts happening. And that year it was, it was fun. Like I actually enjoyed hockey. I, there was no pressure. I wasn't, wasn't worried about fighting. I was just worried about, I get my stick and every game was a pond hockey game because I was on the power play and the results were, were there because of that opportunity. Right. So, um, and then going to the all-star game and scoring and, and, you know, everything catapults based on, on confidence and respect. How big of a throw was that to, to be named to the all-star game? It was great. You know what? It was, um, it was to me, I, it was once again, part of my process and my journey where, um, I felt I fit in. Um, I felt established. I never, you know what? I'm not one of those all-star guys. So, you know, being there and, and, and being involved in it was, was a good experience. And, um, you know, was, uh, was once again a memory that I have. I mean, I got the jersey downstairs in my wall, and nice. so it was. Uh, it was a great weekend. So things are going well, uh, and next thing you know, on uh, January twenty third, you get traded to the Islanders. What was uh, what was your reaction to that? Well, I was. Uh, we were in PEI, and Tom Watt called me in, and. Tom Watt called me in and uh, said, well, we've, uh, you just got traded. And I was like, okay. So, I didn't, you know, um, he said, we traded you to the Islanders. It was like a three team trade and it was, it was a big trade with yeah. the names. And I was like, he's like, so you can't play tonight. And so you'll, you'll stay here. And then, you know, the Islanders will contact you. And uh, so I pretty much, um, uh, I was in PEI by myself. I couldn't get a flight out. I flew out. The next day, the Islanders were in Calgary, so I flew from PEI to Calgary and landed. Uh, my uncle had family there, picked me up at the airport, drove me to the rink. I was late for the game, so I never played. Mm-hmm. Game was over. I got in another plane again, flew to Edmonton. So I've been on now. I'm on like on a 24-hour. Like I left in PEI in the morning and got to Calgary and jumped on the plane, went back to Edmonton. Um, and it was, um, uh, Matthew Schneider was, was, you know, one of the older guys there in the team. And, uh, so it was, uh, the trade experience was, was not sure what to expect, right? Until you get traded, you don't, you know, go into a home or dressing room with guys, but it was, um, it was a great, um, great opportunity, I guess, to play when I, when I got traded. That's what I was wondering. Like, obviously, we, you know, we, you talked about the experience of being an Ontario kid getting traded to the Leafs, playing in their organization. Uh, but at this point, the Islanders are not a very good team. And that's why I was wondering, did you look at it as an opportunity where you might go there and you might get a, a more of a chance to play at the NHL level? 
Yeah. And you know what? I never, I just wanted to play. Yeah. Right. I never had my agent. I'm not playing in Toronto. It's just mm-hmm. like, I just wanted to play the game. Mm-hmm. So New York was another, another stepping stone for me to actually play. That's how I kind of looked at it. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then you walk into the locker room and there's Wendell Clark and, and Wendell Clark is a guy, like I mentioned, you mentioned Cam Neely. Wendell Clark's another guy that comes up and um, mm-hmm. what to me, the, I mean, to me, to me and millions of people, the guy's a legend and he's, and he's probably a guy that a player like yourself would strive to be where he could kick people's ass and score goals and be an, a legend. Like, uh, did you have a chance? And I know he was, he was traded um, after that. He, cause mm-hmm. you know, he was gone, but did you have an opportunity to get to know Wendell at all? I did. I got to know him real well. And he, uh, he always gave me respect and, you know, I, I still talk to him periodically and I see him a lot of Leaf alumni events and stuff like that. But, uh, I did, um, it was amazing the time that he had to spend on the table, um, prior to and after events just to play, play the game. No, nobody saw that or knew that. Mm -hmm. And there was no media allowed in the dressing rooms and stuff like that. But he would have, he would have one of our trainers, you know, for an hour giving him, you know, releases on his back, just prior to the game so he can actually skate that night. Um, so um, I got to know him real good. Um, there's a few guys I want to ask you about besides Wendell, and I'm looking at the list I made now. They're all defensemen. So that's the one thing I do remember. They did uh, Defense core was pretty tough. That Maybe that's one of the reasons why they added you to add some muscle up front. But, uh, yeah, Darius Kasparaitis, uh, Brian McCabe, Richie Pilon, and Brent Severin. you have any recollections of playing with those guys? No, absolutely. I mean, the, uh, they were all, I mean, we, we had a very unique group at the time, because if, if you look at the roster, we had a ton of first rounders cause the mm-hmm. team was, was bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Berard was there. He was first overall. Um, you know, Bertuzzi was there. Mm-hmm. Um, Brett Lindros was there the first year. Mm-hmm. So there was a, it wasn't, the team was like, if you look at the average age, other than, you know, um, flatly and Kinger, um, Pilon, mm-hmm. um, Bob Sweeney was there, but it was a young team. Mm-hmm. Eric, Eric Fichot, Tommy Solo, like it was a solid team in terms of prospects, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a really young team for the league. Yeah. And we were out of the playoffs by Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And, but you know, we really enjoyed each other and we really had a lot of good experiences as kids. I want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing with those guys and, and experiencing what we experienced and, you know, living in New York and uh, it was, uh, a lot of memories that were, um, uh, once again, something that you cherish and, and, uh, can't write a book about, but, um, remember forever. Yeah. I remember, you know, when they would do the pregame show a lot, they would show different things of stuff you guys were doing off the ice. And I remember um, where you guys were waiters or something like that. And it was all these young kids and then Seve there. And I always looked at Mm -hmm. Seve was like the big brother and and he was like, watch, keeping an eye. And I know, I know how much he meant to Brian McCabe's career early. I know he was a mentor to Brian McCabe. And I just, I always laugh when I see that. It's like Seve is babysitting you and Bird and Caber. <laughs> yeah, and so, yeah. You know, it's always like, you're right. You know, thinking about the, uh, the young guys on the team. And that's why I always, you know, 
I mean, Sevy and I are around the same age, so we can give each other grief yep. about being old. But uh, mm-hmm. but no, that's good to hear. So one thing I I ask everybody, and I preface it by by saying this: um, I'm not a huge fan of Mike Milbury. Um, I had high expectations when he got here, and although he did make some moves that I love, uh, overall not a fan. And uh, that I just preface it with that: What were your experiences with Mike? Mike was very unique um, in his own way. Um, We had a very interesting relationship. It seemed to be a love-hate. There was no in-between. He loved me and hated me. And so it it would be the hatred point where one summer I spent uh, uh, their training. I stayed there training. I lived with them. with uh, Lindros and McCabe Berard and Fichot, we had a place. So I just, instead of staying in a hotel, I stayed with those guys mm-hmm. and uh, I stayed there in training camp and he realized I wasn't in a hotel and he basically called me and he was like, so you think you made the team? I'm like, no, why? He goes, well, why, why aren't you living in a hotel? I said, well, I don't know. I stayed here all summer. I trained with those guys. So uh, why I, I don't know it's more comfortable in the house that I've been staying there and he sent me down immediately to the miners because of that um, and another scenario he we're playing the Rangers and we all know the Islander Ranger hatred and nobody knows it until you're an Islander or a Ranger to understand the fans um, morning skate guys stay on the ice who aren't playing. So I'm staying on the ice. So he skates me and he's like, can he grab a net? So I'm like, all right. So we're doing bag skates down and back and doing wallies. And he's like, you use the net. So I had to use the net. I had to push the net to do all my skating. And so we skated for like an hour and we go off and there's a workout and I'm like, all right. So obviously I'm not playing. So I get to the, uh, I finish, I go to the mall because I needed a shirt that night for the game. So I got to the mall and I just got home about four o'clock. And Joey McMahon, the trainer, calls me. He's like, Kenny, he's like, your jersey's hanging up. You're in tonight. I'm like, what do you mean I'm in tonight? I said, he's like, yeah, you're in. I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, your jersey's up, hanging up in the stall. So <laughs> I'm like, are you shitting me right now? So I had, I drove, drove to the rink and, uh, got there late for the meeting and it's against the Rangers. So we all know what's going to happen. So Langdon's Langdon's on their team and he's a marathon fighter. So I played one shift. I got into a fight with Langdon. It was about 10 minutes long and I never played another shift the rest of the game. So there's your, like, are you kidding me right now? Um, so, but you know what? he, he gave me an opportunity to play, mm-hmm. so I can't. Um, I can't talk bad about someone who gives, who gave me an opportunity to 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 pursue my you know my 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 goal of playing hockey, right? So, yeah. I mean, everyone's got downs. It just depends on who you talk to about that person, right? I mean, some people love them, some people hate them, and right. some people decide not to make judgment and i'm mm-hmm. i'm just kind of I'm not going to make a judgment because it wouldn't be fair mm-hmm. for, i'm going to go off the opportunities that he gave me yep 
Yeah. Not yeah. what he took from me. No, and, and you know, I think a lot of people, uh, especially some like I'm going to ask you about now, Mick Vakoda, when when um, when I asked him, and he basically said, "Look, you know, I'm, I, I he has kids. I'm not going to badmouth the guy, but I can tell you stories that actually happened, and then you can decide." And I think that's basically yeah. what you just did. So you're basically putting out factual yeah. information, and then it's up to the listener to decide mm-hmm. what what yeah, their yeah, opinion is. Of course. So what was mm-hmm. you came here when you got here? Uh, Mick was out; he had a thumb injury. Uh, I consider him a legend here. I know a lot of people do. I mm-hmm. think he gets embarrassed when I call him that, but uh, you know, here's a guy who's been through the wars. You're a young kid coming in. Did you have an opportunity to get to know Mick a little bit? I did, and he was uh, he was a great veteran player mm-hmm. to me and yeah. to, to any of the rookies, and it was. Uh, we were pretty lucky to have, like you say, Flats, Kinger, Mick. They were pretty established on the island, mm-hmm. even Richie, Pilon. Yeah. Like, they were pretty pretty established players, and locals got to know them. And living in, living in Long Island is not like living in the city, right? Right. You're in Long Island, everyone's got their little spots they go to, their little taverns or their hangouts. So, so it was, uh, you know, they were pretty established in the community. And um, so... You know, to have guys like that to, to say, mentor you or at least welcome you into the uh, into the circle was nothing but a great experience. Now, going into the next season, uh, you had played seven games the year before. You going into camp the next season? Um, did you think that uh, again, like I had mentioned, you're on a younger team? Um, did you feel like if you had a good camp, you had an opportunity to make the team out of camp? Yeah, you know what? I always thought I was going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I try to tell people now that the reason, the reason I did make it was because I didn't know any other way. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I didn't put, and, and I always, I try to use this comparable of saying if I didn't go to, I graduated from grade 12 mm-hmm. high school. And so I didn't go to university. And so I didn't, they, I wasn't able to learn failures in business. Okay. Like when you go to school, they teach you what helps you succeed and they teach you what flags are for failing, which is good and bad because a lot of times, and, and, and I have a few different businesses, but a lot of times when people teach you fail, well, that fail is in your mind of, Oh my God, when I see this happen, that means things are going to go wrong. So I got to stop. Well, the reality in life is, is that if I push through that flag, it's a real thin flag and I'm going to go through it real easy and I'm going to just beat a thousand people mm-hmm. because they're all failing because they're afraid to fail. Well, I wasn't, I really had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I really had nothing to to give up other than I was just going to play. So I really, every year, I think I just went into the attitude. I had a chance to play and I was going to play. And I never really put that pressure on myself to having to make it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you went to the minors that year, it was uh, Kentucky. And it was a, all these split affiliations are always odd to me, depending on which team you're coming from. So uh, Islander sent their prospects to Kentucky, but they were the primary affiliate of San Jose. And I believe all the mm-hmm. coaches and the staff, they were all San Jose guys. Um, yep. How is that when you come down from the other team? Uh, because obviously San Jose wants these guys to get San Jose players up there. Uh, and I'm not saying they play favorites, but is it a little weird? You know what? I, for me, it, like I was an established kind of 
player. Like I played, like I say, an American, at least an AHL player, right? Like I played in the All Star game, so I kind of already had some respect and credibility. Right. Um, but that year was phenomenal because the players, you know, Ian Fraser was one of my best buddies there, and we still talk. And um, the, the coaching staff was was phenomenal, and you know, there was eighteen thousand people in Rupp Arena. Uh, the horse farms and the experience that we had um, in Kentucky was no one knew what hockey was. It was kind of, you know, the first time there, you know, the announcers like this was before hockey was, you know, in the South or like, you know, I seen is when, you know, the puck goes over two lines. It was like, are you kidding me right now? Like in between periods, like the announcers freaking telling the fans what the plays are. So, but it was, uh, it was a phenomenal experience. There was no, um, no bipartisan in terms of the coaches playing San Jose players. The coaches wanted to win, mm-hmm. and and so they played. They made lines up based on based on the team being the best team. And you had a very tough squad down there. Um, you, you Freddie Oduya, your your teammate mm-hmm. is now. You got Struts yep. down there. Uh, Webby, Chris Lapuma, yeah, yeah Webby, Chris Lapuma, yeah. uh, Mador, uh, mm-hmm. Boykov. So yep. that those nights must have been pretty fun when. You know, again, we talk about when it's not just all on your shoulders. And here, definitely, mm-hmm. you got a good mix of forwards that are tough, defensemen that are tough. So that must have been a fun team. It was it was great. I mean, because we had enough respect where anywhere we went. And you had, you know, guys like Freddie, he was just, he was a young gun. He was a gamer every night. He just wanted to, you know, he wanted to fight somebody every night. So it took so much pressure off of me where he'd go out there and someone looked at somebody the wrong way. Freddie was coming flying across with his big dangly arms. <laughs> Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it took all the weight off me of having to do any of that. And this was your first experience being a teammate with Webby, I believe. And, uh, at this point I, he hadn't been called up to the Islanders yet. So Islander fans didn't know what exactly they were getting, but I can mm-hmm. only imagine him running around in the American league. Uh, he probably even more so than up here, because I imagine he probably played more down there. He must've just been lights out to watch every night. Just go and look in the crush guys. Yeah, he was, I mean, he, his problem was that he didn't know he, he's running 50 yard sprints and 40 yard gems, right? Like, and the prime example is we had uh, the practice rink. There wasn't a full rink mm-hmm. and he didn't realize that he needed to slow himself down. And he went, we were practicing morning and he was just going all out and realized he was out of space too late and literally waved out and like run into the end boards and like hurt himself. Oh we're God. like, are you the guy is like, but that's just him, right? He's just yeah. like, the guy's just like all out going, not realizing the fact that the rink's actually shorter than a standard rink. And he, he run out of space, but didn't realize it. But uh, yeah, he brought tremendous amount of, um, of grit and determination and, and, you know, motivation to, uh, to be a pro athlete. And I remember him as first camps and he was, he was fighting with Mick and mm-hmm. Mick just kicked the shit out of him. And, uh, you know, Webby come back and he hung in there and stayed there because he, he kind of wanted to establish himself as something um, as he was a free agent at the camp. And I, I remember uh, those that specifically. Well, and the thing I always say about Steve Webb is because he is I don't know how often you get back down here, but literally he is so beloved here on the island. And if you think about it, if you look at his hockey career uh, after the OHL and before he got a few games with Detroit uh, of the IHL, I mean, he really was in hockey purgatory. And it, to me, it's just no. a testament 
of his work mm-hmm. ethic. And, and again, I don't really like Mike Milbury, but one of the things I appreciate is he gave him, he gave Webby a chance. 100%. It's just a testament to the guy's like intestinal fortitude and his hard work that he made it to the Islanders. And he is, I mean, you know, like, you know, you talk about Toronto fans. Uh, I think we're a pretty good core of fans here too. And this is a guy, obviously we have the dynasty years, but you say Steve Webb to any Islander fan, they're going to get a big smile on their face. Right. So, and well, and well, and well-deserved. Yeah. So one of the guys I want to ask you about when you're in Kentucky, uh, you had a two fight game down there against Hamilton. And one of the guys you fought was George LaRock. And I imagine mm-hmm. that up until that point, he might've been the toughest guy you had fought. Uh, what was it like fighting George? Well, he was a new age guy coming in that was 260 pounds and strong, right? Yeah. Um, there wasn't a lot of guys like him. Um, so he was, uh, he was definitely, um, well, as his career showed it, right? He was, he was the up and coming new generation of what tough hockey player was going to be. Um, and on your first recall to the Islanders, uh, you know, you mentioned how you got to know Mick a little bit, uh, and now, uh, there's another veteran in the locker room, Paul Cruz. Uh, did you get to know Paul a little bit? Uh, really did you guys well, kind of yeah, like pal around? <laughs> we did. Yeah. Cruz yeah. was a good guy. He lived close to me. So he, uh, he'd drive me into the rink and whatnot. And he was, uh, no, great, really, really good guy. A lot of good memories and, uh, good, uh, great experiences together. Now, uh, when you were called up, your first game uh, was uh, in Philadelphia, and this was during the heyday of the Pilon and Lindros rivalry, and also um, the Flyers had their Dan line, the Cordic Daniels and uh, Danny Lacroix. Oh, so yeah. I assume going into that game, you know that something's probably going to happen, and in that game, you ended up fighting Scott Daniels. So do you, uh, you remember that whole getting called up and playing in Philly? I, I do, yeah. and... Uh... It's funny that I get that picture frequently where I got him in the air. Yep. Spun in his feet right off the ice. It's, it's actually, I don't even know how the hell someone even got a picture like that because yeah. how would you, you know, um, <laughs> I do, I do require, I do recall those games against Philly, but in those evenings and um, I think um, Kordak beat the crap out of Webby just before that. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, I'm not one of those guys that say, God, when I played, Things were tough because there's nothing worse I, than you know where I was in the training getting getting ice or treatment and an old old scout would walk in and go what the hell are you guys doing in here we used to play all year and never know why I'm like okay guy when you played you, nobody could skate okay <laughs> so it's like let's let's not compare like like guys weren't 200 pounds okay so so I don't like doing that comparable when I played yeah um, but the games evolved so much that. When when we played our era, it was extremely tough. Mm-hmm. It was it was a deep tough like Philly. Their fourth line were four heavyweights, yeah. and they played. They dressed every night, and that's that's what the fans wanted. That's what their you know their team makeup was. So you knew every game there was going to be something. Now I, the second time you got called up, I think was when Steve Webb got called up for the very first time. Uh, and I'm wondering, like, if you guys made the trip together, like, if you remember his his reaction to being called up, like, after all the battles that he was in, uh, finally getting a call to the show. So I didn't know if you guys got called up on the same day and if you were able to travel uh, together. Yeah, I don't think – I think I was up there just before him, and, okay. he, and he got called up. We're on the road, but um, I remember when he got called up. I mean, he was – 
he was he, he was pretty obviously excited for yeah. the opportunity, but once again, um, he's a pretty reserved reserved person. He's not yeah. a real loud right. loud guy away from it. So um, you know, I was just obviously anyone getting their opportunity to pursue their dream and goal of making it is is uh, something that they should be proud of. Um, this was the first, uh, this season was the first fight you had with, uh, Paul Laws and you guys had a series of fights. Um, and I don't think it was anything personal. I think it was just, uh, two guys that, you know, play a similar role and he plays a lot and you play a lot. And, uh, I don't think anything was ever personal with Paul, was it? No, there was nothing personal. It was, yeah. he was in a contract year mm-hmm. and, and I think that year he led the league fighting majors were insane. Yeah. Like that, like he just destroyed. I don't know if any, no one will ever get as many. I don't know. I remember it was ridiculous. It was like 43, um, I think. Yeah, it mm. was, it was, it was crazy. Um, So it was more out of respect. Mm-hmm. Um, He's trying to earn a new contract. And I had, you know, the first fight, I got the better of him. So mm-hmm. it's like, all right, now it's, we get to go again. And it's just like, so every game was, every battle was kind of back and forth. It's like, all right, you got that one, but guess what? You know, I'm coming back at you again. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was out of total respect. Um, and it's funny, I've I've only been stung, I bet you, one time in my 10-year career. Mm-hmm. And the people that pull that fight up on YouTube where he actually got me hard in the chin, right? people talk more about that fight than the other 100 <laughs> fights where I knocked guys. Oh, I see where Paul Lowe's knocked you. I was like, yeah, but did you see where I knocked out 100 guys? Yeah. Well, no, I remember when Paul Lowe's knocked you out. That's when they talked. Right. I was like, he shot up. It's like, you know what? Good for him. And I don't give a shit. He hit me good, mm-hmm. and we had tons of battles. And you know, it, it was what it, it, it was. What it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was nothing personal. I mean, we'd go for a beer after the game and say, you know what, we'll see you next week in New York. Yep. It's all good. And one thing that I that I say, um, I your your year your your year with the Islanders, the big year. Um, I equate that and and I, you probably if you even if you never watched on his stuff on youtube but even though you played with them when the islanders got ken baumgartner um mm-hmm. his run here was phenomenal like unbelievable run and when you were up here for them for that season the mm-hmm. guys you fought the run you went on right. i i kind of make it very similar now the team was in different spots they were a team that was teetering on the playoffs and him and Hubie McDonough you know they they kind of sparked the team everyone kind of rallied and and they made the playoffs your situation was different but that year you had you know you fight you know Paul Laws you fight Rudy Poshek Mike Peluso Stu Grimson you I mean I and I I don't want to overemphasize the fighting so much but in terms of that you really had a, a, a great season I don't don't know if you want to comment on that at all, but you did from a fan point of view, you were phenomenal. Yeah, no, you know what? I was um, young Mm -hmm. and I had nothing to lose and I was all in Mm -hmm. and I did. I, I, that season I was like, I kind of, I think I was at a point where I knew what I had to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately I did it well. And when I say unfortunately is because I didn't, um, I'm a pretty honest person mm-hmm. and, you know, fighting is, is, was not part of my makeup, mm-hmm. but when I got pissed off, I got pissed off and, um, I established myself 
I defined my role of what I was going to be too early because I cared for people. And you know what? It was a point in my career where I'm like, Craig Brube is 26 years old and he's still fighting. And there's no way in the world I can be doing that when I'm at his age. And you know what? 10 years later, I looked at myself, I'm doing that still, but do you know what? I, I never had a choice. If I'm going to play, this is what I was going to do. So, but I, I did have a good run that year and, um, I battled a lot of injuries, um, and, you know, push myself through, um, lots of issues. Um, but you know what? I had nothing to lose. Um, I was young and everything was on the line. Now you, I'm sure at every level of hockey, when you walk into a locker room, you're one of the bigger guys in the room, but in 97, 98, there was an even bigger dude in the room that can you believe that Zdeno Chara is still playing? And what was it like playing with big Z, a young big Z, like, you know, not, I don't want to say Bambi legs. I think that was more during his time at Prince George, but to, to see what he's done in his career. I mean, you saw him very raw, very young. What was it like playing with big Z? Well, I remember him coming in at 18, um, the Islanders weight room and the weight rooms weren't already established. And um, so I started talking to him. So where'd you play? And he said he was, you know, in Western league and he didn't go to school because in Europe he finished the year early and he's a really intelligent person. So I said, well, what'd you do? He goes, I used to wash cars. I said, what do you mean? Well, I was tall enough. I could wash right across the roof. So he worked at, he worked at a car washing till I said, okay, it's whatever. Um, and I, I was like, all right, that's, you know, what he was, wasn't in school, but he was working at a car wash, um, while he was playing junior. Cause he was tall enough to reach and wash and kind of laugh about it. And, uh, I remember watching him, he's doing bench press and he's just, he's like six, seven. Like that's, he just looked like that wasn't even heard of mm-hmm. a, an athlete that big. Right. And, uh, and he was 18 at the time. And, um, you know, and I just, uh, his, his makeup, genetic makeup from his, his parents and his father being Olympians and yeah. his work ethic. And, you know, it, it's a testament to why he's still playing, mm-hmm. um, in terms of, 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 of athletics. So it's, um, it's obviously something he should be, you know, proud of, and people need to look up to someone as a, as a, you know, world class athlete. And then that year, ninety seven, ninety eight, you, uh, the Islanders added another veteran and force of presence. So we talked about Mick, we talked about Paul Cruz. Now you got uh, Gino Ojic in the locker room. What was it like playing with Gino? Well, we were we were real good buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, we played the same role. He came in from Vancouver and understood kind of what my job was and knew knew the pressures of it. So when you have something that someone can relate to that not a lot of guys can, you kind of tend to migrate to each other. Um, so there'd be, you know, times in between games, you know, he'd be, uh, he'd be having a smoke in the stall in between periods. Right. I'm like, Gee, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to smoke. I need to relax. I need to smoke. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Another smoke in between periods in the bathroom. So like, come on over here. We need to talk. We need to talk between periods. It's like, so um, he was, uh, he was um, uh, he was quite the character, um, great team player, and um, you know tons of phenomenal memories playing with him and, and the relationship we had. Just so you know, you talk about smoking. That's the first thing I thought of when you mentioned Ian Fraser because I got to know him a little bit when he was in Capital <laughs> yep. District, and yep. uh, I, I don't. The only time I think I saw him without a, a cigarette in his mouth was when he was on the ice. Right. So, <laughs> but I, I loved I loved that guy. He was so much fun. 
So yeah. uh, that's the first thing I thought of when you mentioned his name. Um, yeah. So this is the first year that you, you made the team out of training camp. I mean, you had an insane preseason. Uh, you fought Nolan Pratt. You fought Stu Grimson twice. You fought Sheldon Surrey, Reed Simpson, Lyle Odeline. And you made the team out of camp. So, uh, I mean, for someone, for anyone that's a professional athlete, to make your team, because that's that's the goal, to, to make it to the NHL, to stay there. And when you make the team out of camp, when you find out, hey, get a place or whatever it is, what's that feeling like? Uh, well, I think it's a sense of accomplishment, but I was still, I want to say not satisfied because this is what I was. I was a hockey player. Mm-hmm. So I felt I, I should have been there. Um, but definitely you get that sense of, okay, I made it now, and this guy got sent down because I've been the guy that was sent down before. Mm-hmm. So um, definitely a sense of accomplishment. What uh, Could you just go into it a little bit more? Because now you're, you've been with the team a few years, uh, and for someone like myself who's watched it from afar but never actually been a part of it, uh, and I know people talk about rivalry, this and that. I don't think there's really any rivalries anymore, but being right in the thick of that Islander Ranger rivalry, uh, doing the job that you did, uh, could you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Well, it puts a, an intensive amount of pressure on any any tough guy who has to be on the Rangers Islanders at the time when that rival because there would, there would there was a fight on the ice because there was a fight in the crowd mm-hmm. and the Islander fan lost in the crowd that meant the Islander guy had to go beat the Ranger player up <laughs> to balance it out for the crowd. So there was it was intense. I mean, fans like I I never experienced before, right? But near you know we're in Long Island and we got Ranger fans and they're like, let's go Rangers and they're chanting. I was just like, no, they're doing their chant. Uh, and it was just like, are you kidding me right now? Like it was intense. Yeah. Um, like they were, they're hardcore. And so the, you know, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on the players when they know how intense the game is for the fans. Mm-hmm. It escalates the pressure up for the player to say, holy shit. All right. We got it. I have, I'm, I'm here, not just for my team. I'm here for the, my fans, mm-hmm. right? I'm here for the Islander fans that are cheering and sticking up for me. So I guess what I got to do now, I got to friggin', I got to stick up for them now and freaking go on the stage, right? So it puts a lot more pressure on on the the tough guys. There's no question. Now this season, um, you get to play uh, at the Coliseum against Chicago, and Jim Cummins is back. and And I know Jim a little bit, and he told me the story uh, that he didn't know you were there. And in the locker room, I think it was Cam Russell had said something to him about, you know, that Belanger's here. And he's like, really? And he goes, yeah, he goes, you better keep your head up. And, uh, and then you guys did meet up, uh, during the game, correct? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it took me, it took me a few years yeah. to, to, to finally, cause there was a lot of cross paths and never played them, mm-hmm. but, uh, we did, um, we did meet up and, uh, he was, uh, and is an extremely tough mm-hmm. person. Yeah. And uh, very wiry and strong and surprised me mm-hmm. how strong he was during the fight. But you know what? I was a lot bigger than him. And, yeah. you know, he took it to the next level and, and, and fought, fought a good fight. Well, his nickname is Kong. So that'll tell you how strong he is. That was no question. <laughs> I believe that. Now, uh, do you remember what happened on December 13th, 1997? Refresh my memory. You played Florida. Mm-hmm. First NHL in- goal. Right. Can you tell me about? I'm sure it was a. I'm sure you dangled, or it was a laser. Do you remember the goal? Uh, well, I. It's funny. I just seen the plaque, the first goal NHL goal puck the other day in my basement. Uh, I, I believe I was just standing on the side of the net, 
and uh, got a rebound and scored. Seen the picture of me celebrating, kind of in shock. But yes, I actually <laughs> scored a goal, so it was pretty, pretty exciting moment in my career. Now and then, and it, it was a game against Dallas, mm-hmm. and the Stars tried to convince the officials that you intentionally directed the puck into the net when you scored on Roman Turk. It went to video review. The goal stood. Now it's years later. Did you intentionally? kick it in or was it just the skill that you had no it was a reaction yeah. no intention mm-hmm. and then also this is a you know three goals this year i gotta tell you the backhand goal against zach burke was pretty impressive yes it was uh um it was a reaction everything's reactive when you play the game right nothing's planned it's all reactive yeah Okay, I thought you were going to talk a little bit more about the goals. I wanted you had some good stories, make them sound better than maybe they were. Yeah, you know what? I, <laughs> it was uh, I don't know. You know what? I I I never got to play the game I wanted to play. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of goals in my NHL careers that I you know I, I wanted I wanted to be able to um, give more mm-hmm. to the team mm-hmm. in terms of just the physical side. I wanted to actually play because I knew I could play. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I would, I had an established role, and that's what it was. Uh, 98-99, you start the year with the Islanders, nine games. Uh, you fought Sean Brown and Keith Primo. Uh, you tried to fight Rob Ray, didn't get it going. You scored a goal against Philly. And next thing you know, you're on your way to the Bruins. Uh, were, was that something you expected, or was that a surprise? Or And how, was your, uh, how did you react to that? Well, no, I didn't expect it. And... Um, when, uh, Mike told me that I, I got traded to the Bruins, um, I called my wife and said, Hey, we got traded to Boston. So I'll see you there. So, um, we, uh, was on the road again and, um, went in and Burns, he's like, you know what? He's like, I just, I watched your last game against him. You talked about Primo. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, um, Primo had done something dirty and he was one of the premier players in the league. Mm-hmm. And I went after him and basically you know established the fact that whatever he did was wrong wasn't going to be stood for and burns he sat me down in the video room and said you see that right there he goes that's why i brought you he goes i want more character here he goes i want guys like you here that actually care about their teammates because he traded teddy donato which was a local boston guy mm-hmm. um which is you know boston was big on their local guys that they're from the area mm-hmm. so i mean trading me for donato was one of their top top six forwards was uh was a big trade mm-hmm. Um, uh, what player to get rid of. So, um, but, uh, you know, Boston was a, a time in my life that I would, you know, cherish and phenomenal memories. And what was it like playing with someone who I referenced earlier? Um, one of the, to me, one of the greatest to ever do the job in Ken Baumgartner. Yeah, he was, uh, once again, he was, uh, a teammate and a friend and, and a mentor and, you know, an extremely intelligent person. You played with another guy who I'm a big fan of, uh, little guy, not afraid of anybody, fearless, Rob DeMaio. What was uh, your recollections of playing with Sal? Yeah, he was uh, same idea. He was nose first guy. Remember, he went and uh, during the year he went. He had a broken nose, and so he wanted to cosmetically fix it. And probably the worst thing he ever could have done because he went and got surgery, fixed his nose, and next game. I think he may have gotten into a fight mm-hmm. and he broke his nose again. And there was like a blue line on his nose from the <laughs> surgery. 
That's where like I don't I don't even know if that line's ever gone anymore. But it was something like, hey, when you got a broken nose, you fix it when you've done your career. <laughs> and I remember he went and got surgery and fixed it. And I think it may have been a stick. I don't even think it was a fight. It was something fluky mm-hmm. where he got actually broke his nose again after he had surgery. And there was like a line on his nose. We're like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> it was pretty intense. But yeah, he was he was quite the character and and played quite an intense role for his size. So your first game with the Bruins, you play Florida, and of course you, of course you end up uh, fighting Paul Laws again. So it was, the, it was like another, uh, just another in the line of the uh, not rivalry, but you know the series of fights. It just seemed like it was, uh, it was meant to be, I guess, playing Florida that first game. Yeah, no, it's uh, you know what it was. Some things you can control, and some yeah. things you can't. Mm-hmm. Is and was what it is. And that second game, I'm sure you remember the game against the Capitals where there was a wild brawl. Can you take me through uh, through that incident? Yeah, it's funny. My kids put it on the other day. Yeah. It was Brubay, and it was uh, quite the intense um, scenario where uh, there was a misunderstanding between a couple players, and it broke out. And, you know, the game back then where guys were guys stood, stood up for each other. Um, as you've seen, you know, Kozik jumped out of the net in that play mm-hmm. and everyone jumped in a pile to support each other. So um, it was, uh, you know, that, that's, we, we played because we cared about each other back then. And guys had, it didn't matter if you're a tough guy or not, you're jumping in to help the next guy, mm-hmm. um, which, which, you know, created team building and, and bonding, which, you know, is more important than winning championships when you create those experiences. Now, later that year, you were, uh, I, I think it was the only time you may have fought him. Uh, you fought who, someone who's widely regarded as the toughest guy ever uh, to play the game, Bob Probert. Um, mm-hmm. I know it's just part of the job, but is it any different fighting a guy like Probert than anyone else? Well, definitely there's more center stage. Everyone knows who, uh, everyone knew who Proby was and what his career was. And, you know, I had so much respect for him. Um, as a player. Um, and you know what, that night I got the better mm-hmm. upper hand on him and the media was obviously the first thing all over it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, you know what, I got so much respect for him and right. what happened is what happened. And, uh, you know what, I, I didn't lose any respect and I got more respect than for, for a guy like that. And, uh, but it was, um, it was just one of those nights and it was my, my opportunity to get the better hand. And the next season, you actually played uh, team added Marty McSorley. Uh, mm-hmm. So you played with a lot of a lot of interesting characters uh, throughout your career. Uh, what was it like playing with Marty? Marty was uh, a good leader and a mentor um, to me as well, and we played the same role, so we really understood each other. And uh, um, I've known him for a long time. And Marty has a house in LA, and me being in LA, we got to keep in touch and seeing him at alumni events. So Marty was a very interesting player and he played a very, um, very interesting role because the game back then was so, so aggressive and his role that he he played was um, instrumental in helping a lot of other players have success and making a lot of money. Uh, One of the guys I asked you about already, Mike Milbury, he's sort of a lightning rod. And there's another guy who's a lightning rod that ended up being your coach in Boston. Uh, When uh, Mike Keenan took over for Pat Burns, uh, was that, uh, how did that affect you as a player? Well, Mike was an interesting coach and he wanted uh, 
he wanted to start the game with a fight every game. He wanted to start the game off with, with the tough guys to start every game and wanted to fight. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, well, I'm kind of at a point in my career where I'm not really, you know, I like to fight just to fight. If there's a reason, I will, but just to go out there and punch a guy in the face for a reason is really I have a hard time getting going. Right. And he brought in uh, Alexei Nazarov mm-hmm. from Anaheim. And uh, Nazi fought. He started every game, and he fought the first shift of every single game, like 15 games. Wow. Um, Mike was um, interesting. He had successes in his career and had some failures and um he was an interesting person he his tactics were interesting um not always effective uh but uh i don't know he was he was a good coach he knew lots and he had different ways is this uh is is that one of the reasons because um you, you had already say established but you were kind of established in your career in the nhl and then you ended up playing in providence for a little bit was that some was that his way of saying he wasn't happy or, or. Yeah. Well, I had, you know what? I had hip surgery mm-hmm. and me pushing it to come back early. I come back real, I come back. I was supposed to be out for like five months and I come back with, you know, within three months mm-hmm. and I probably shouldn't have, but then, uh, that, yeah, then as he was playing and he was establishing there and, and they, uh, yeah, that was probably, I, I would say, because I wasn't fighting every single game just to fight. So, and he had Nazi who would, so that was probably him, probably subliminal message. Mm-hmm. You played with a couple of guys down there. Uh, Pete Vandermeer, who is a big time character. Uh, also a guy, Jay Henderson, who I'm a fan of. Mm-hmm. I, I know you weren't down there that long, but uh, you remember playing with those guys? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I mean, fortunate thing about Providence is it was, uh, it was close to Boston, so it was only you know an hour and a half, two hour drive, so which made the uh, commute easy mm-hmm. to uh, to get down there. I believe they had a good team. I never finished a season with them, but yeah, I think they had a good run. And you actually left Providence, right? And uh, and I, and if this is personal, you don't have to say anything because no. I don't really know about it. But I know they suspended you. Uh, you left Providence. Uh, was it just like maybe you had enough, or? Yeah, well, you know, you know what the uh, um, the coach at the time. Um, Armstrong, Bill Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted me to kind of play a fourth line, a grinder, aggressive role. And I'm like, I listen, like I'm an established pro guy. I've already been in the all-star games. I could score goals. And he wanted me to be like their grinder, fourth line fighter guy. I'm like, you know what, if, if that's what you're expecting out of me, you're not, you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pretty much come down to, you know, so I didn't dress a few games and I'm like, I listen, if I'm not dressing, why am I even here? And it pretty much come down to, he's like, well, sleeve, go home then. I'm like, no problem. So I packed, packed my shit up and drove home. And, uh, I was a free eight. My contract was over mm-hmm. and I read on TSN ticker, maybe ESPN at the time said, uh, Bruins suspend. Ken Belanger for breach of contract. I'm like, well, what is that breach of contract? So I had to, uh, anyways, the PA got involved in NHL and it come out. Basically they said I would have been under your contract. I'm like, that's fine, whatever. And the story come out. They kept me suspended till the first of, uh, till the June 1st, till I become a free agent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was established that they had no grounds to suspend me. It was a mutual, 
agreement leave by the coach and myself that, you know, so they, they really had no grounds. They were just being, being, you know, the way they were and uh, lifted it up and I become a free agent and signed with LA the first day. I was wondering, so while you're, while you're at home, I'm sure that uh, teams are interested. They're calling your agent, everything. And then that's what I was going to ask you. I thought it was the first day of free agency. You signed with LA. They put the, they really wanted you. Well, I had Anaheim at LA, which mm-hmm. was kind of funny. I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm in Boston. I got both California teams I could have signed with. Mm-hmm. So it come to who's bidding for more money. And to come to, I thought LA is a bigger market. They're going to win the cup. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> we we knew that was a wrong pick. Because yeah. <laughs> Anaheim ended up winning the cup, right? Yeah. So, um, but uh, no, LA was a, it's a special, holds a special place in my heart. When you got to L.A., I think you played a little bit. I don't know how long he was up there for, but there was a player named Ryan Flynn. And mm-hmm. uh, he – did you kind of see yourself, a young Ken Belanger, in Ryan Flynn? Because yeah. he's the yeah, guy trying to establish and, himself. He's just a big kid, huge yeah. kid, just, yeah, trying to establish himself and the role he had to play in. And, I, he, you know, so, yeah, for sure. And that year, the, the first year with L.A., you played 43 games. You had 85 penalty minutes. Uh, just a couple of the fights that stood out to me, uh, Lance Ward, you did real well with him. You did real well with John Erskine, who Islander fans know spent some time here. Um, but did you get a chance to play with LA a little bit? Like, I, I guess when they're, when they're courting you, when a team is courting you, they're going to tell you everything that, that they think you want to hear. And when you first went there, is that what happened? Like whatever they, they kind of said, if you do this, this will happen. Like, uh, was it what you expected? Um, so what happened in LA was I was kind of at the end of my career. I had injuries and concussions and I was at a space where I'm like, I just, I can't, I'm not fighting anymore just to fight. I had mm-hmm. kids, two kids at the time. And as I got older, I'm realizing, you know, my injuries are, are ailing me. And so I wasn't really going to LA to try and establish myself as a fighter anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, so I never, I guess for me and you know a lot of those, a lot of the, some of the other guys to cope with their um, anxieties, they had extracurricular activities going on, and you know we could see what the long term results are of that of those guys who are you know dead now. Mm-hmm. And I never got involved in any stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I would have a few beers the night before the game to relax, and so I was really at the end of my point where like, you know, this is so stressful for me mm-hmm. that I just can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of avoided it. And I had a player come to me from management. They're like, Hey, why aren't you fighting anymore? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is that what they want? So <clears throat> I went the first game against Anaheim and <clears throat> I believe it was Jason Marshall. Mm-hmm. I fought him and I beat him up mm-hmm. real bad. And I broke my hand and I said, there you go. How do you like that now? Now I, now I don't have to fight no more. I got a broken hand for, I'll be out for six weeks. So I was at the point where I just didn't want to fight anymore. So you played <laughs> four games with LA in 02-03, and then 03-04 you didn't play. So did would, did you quote on men's league? I, I, re, I, I, I played men's league for two years. Well, that was, was going to ask you, yeah. were you playing anywhere? Did you just retire from the NHL? Because you eventually came back. So that's why I was wondering, like, what, what did you do basically for that 0203 and then 0304? Like, that's what you say yeah. in men's league, right? I did. I, I played, uh, actually, Kluch was playing player coach in Adirondack 
was just going to ask uh, you how you ended up in Adirondack Falls. Yeah, Cooch was there. Mm-hmm. So, and Mark Potvin was there. Mm-hmm. Um, rest his soul. Yeah. He uh, he was coaching, and uh, Barry Melrose was the owner. Cooch mm-hmm. was like, hey, why don't you come and play here? I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll come and try it out. So I drove my wife and kids there and drove like 18 hours to get there and mm-hmm. got into the rink. And I'm like, okay, like, I'm here to play. I'm here to get in shape because I'm here to go back to NHL. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy there, Trevor Sen, all-time, yep. Ameri- all-time penalty minute leader. I'm like, okay, this guy's like 5'5". Five, five. I'm like, whatever, guy. Show up at the rink, there's a sign, Ken Versen. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, this guy's like, what do we, like, he's not even in my league. Yeah. So anyways, game starts. This guy comes and he two hands me in the cab so hard. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so I'm like, the problem was I've been training for two years, clean, not drinking, like nothing, just training to go back to LA. I was strong. Mm-hmm. I grabbed him and like pounded him, like destroyed him. Yeah. And I went to the bench. I'm like, if anybody else has a problem, let's just figure it out right now. Yeah. <laughs> but then, but then here's the problem. I'm like, so after the game, I'm like, I said to my wife, I'm done. Like I would, I'm not here to get into fights with guys in the East coast, no disrespect to the East coast. But I said, yeah. I'm an NHL player. I'm an NHL tough guy. I'm not, I'm not East coast guy. I'm like, I break my hand. I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. And every guy was going to want to come after me because of my, who I was. Yep. Because they, they have everything to gain. I get everything to lose. So I beat him up. I was supposed to beat him up. Yeah. Guess what? He's got a YouTube video fighting me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's loving it, right? Yeah. Win or lose, he still wins. He's got he's got stats to say he fought me. So, so oh, I no, just I'm left. Sorry. Yeah, I just left. I drove home. I left. And then I played men's league. I just I sponsored a men's league team mm-hmm. here, my buddies. And I just I literally played men's league and just trained for two years. And and then what what happened? Did you get the itch to try again? To, I did. To I, come to I did. I called, I called Dave Taylor and I said, "Listen, I said I got rid of my agent. I said I just want to try out next year." He's like, "No problem." Mm-hmm. So I was strong in shape, and I trained. I built a gym in my garage at my house, and I trained and went back to LA, and uh, I uh, I signed a contract. So after being out for two years, I signed an NHL contract. But I didn't feel right. I felt off from my concussions. And 20 games into it, I just said, you know what? They were like, I, I'm done. Mm-hmm. My goal was to make back to the NHL. I signed a contract, and mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was content with my decision. Now, I didn't want to go too deep into the concussions because I really figure I could just ask you this now because really what, what's important is what's going on now. How how are you now? Like, are, do you have residual effects? Does is it stuff that affects you? Because ultimately, you you mentioned your kids, your family man. Um, are you okay now? And and I, by okay, I mean day to day. Yeah, no, I can I can function. Yeah. Um, I think I'm more intelligent. I think something got sparked up there. I can see through <laughs> things now. I don't tell a lot of people that. Yeah. So um, <laughs> exclusive. I'm, uh, it's exclusive interview. So no, you know what I'm. I think I, uh, I think I deal with it like anybody else. It's your limits are sometimes motion sickness, but you know your limits of what you can and can't do, and you work with, live with it, right? But I, I, I do well. I function well, and I think I do. I think I cope well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm extremely focused. What obviously I'm I'm a fan of yours because of what you did on the ice, but I am so pumped to ask you this next next question because what you've done post hockey 
like I'm a big fan of people who are entrepreneurs because like, I think whenever someone is successful, I always wonder how many failures did they have and they didn't give up and now they're successful. Mm -hmm. And I went on your LinkedIn and I see things, KBX hockey club. I see Northern digital media. I see shop lockers, puck cooler, global hockey loop. So please tell me everything that, that you've been involved in. And I know you own a gym now. I'm, I'm just like, I'm really happy for you with everything you've done post hockey you have your hand in a lot of things yeah you know what i'm i'm an extremely obsessive compulsive with having good results and the problem with me is that i can't work for somebody else because if i enjoy it i'm going to make them a shitload of money and it doesn't make sense to me that i make somebody else more money mm-hmm. um because if i like it i'm going to really make it the best so um you know, becoming an entrepreneur with, you know, opening up a gym and, um, you know, open up a media company and I'm always about challenges and how I can become better and motivated to figure shit out and, and trying to help other people to become better. And so my gym is all performance based with some special needs to pro athletes is it's peer performance. We're non-membership. It's all private mm-hmm. and it's about making you the best person you could possibly be. Um, we start with kids like five years old, teaching them discipline of movement and, and how to become leaders and how to respect each other. So the, the gym's going well, obviously with COVID, we've been shut down most of the year. It's been a bit of a challenge. Um, but through that shutdown, I've been able to establish a, a company I own shop lockers. We're coming up with a whole new product, which is going to crush the market. Um, and uh, it's not launched. Uh, the new stuff's not launched yet, but it will be now coming months. And uh, when people see it, they'll know what I'm talking about in terms of what it is. So I, I was shut down from my gym, but I've evolved my uh, my skate product, and it's going to be. Uh, when I say it's going to be a game changer, you can interview me again in the in the, in the next four months when you see what the product is, and you'll you'll see what I mean when it's going to change the game. Absolutely, I'm going to pencil it in right now to uh, make a note to uh, to get you back on. I'm happy to help you promote anything. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Ken, I, I started you out with the first question I ask everybody about who was your hero growing up. And then the last question I ask everybody is, um, did I forget anything? Is there anything about your hockey career uh, that I didn't bring up that maybe you'd like to bring up? No, I think it's pretty in-depth. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, Ken, this was uh, this was great. I'm really, uh, I'm really glad that uh, you agreed to do this. I'm really happy to reconnect with you. I wish you nothing but the best going forward, and I just want to say thanks for your time. Great. Well, I appreciate uh, your time and interest in, uh, in, in my journey so far, and, uh, um, you know, pass a message on to anybody who's got a, um, a goal to set, set, set goals that are realistic but also – set goals that you know you can achieve um and how you achieve them is having information there's a lot of information out there that'll help you um achieve success now there's it's it's the best time and the easiest time in history to actually have success because you could see failure and success everywhere online so you know what set set goals and uh work at it there is no better way to end this than on that one so kenny with that i will say have a great day and thank you again thanks have a great day all right see ya Thanks again to Ken Belanger for his time. Uh, Kenny was awesome. Uh, Really, really impressed with, uh, obviously I'm impressed with his hockey career, but uh, really his post-hockey career. Uh, I always love seeing these guys um, 
succeed after hockey as well, because I know sometimes uh, it's a very difficult transition for athletes to go, uh, you know, from retirement to everyday nine to five business life. And I know it's a difficult transition and Kenny's really taken the bull by the horns. And uh, like we talked about, big time entrepreneur now, he's got a lot of irons in the fire and that really makes me happy to hear. So uh, I wish Kenny all the best in his future endeavors. And um, him and I have, we've uh, discussed him coming back on, maybe do, um, you know, maybe some quick 30, 40 minute shows here and there. So, um, so I would anticipate uh, Ken Belanger will uh, once again, sit down with me in the penalty box here and uh, we'll chat about something. So, uh, so keep an eye out for that in the future. As far as next week, I'm supposed to do an interview this week with someone who is a, a real character. I mean, uh, just talking to some of his former teammates, an absolute real character. And I think an interview with him would be very interesting. And uh, if that doesn't work out, then I'll probably do uh, a solo episode, either a seasons episode, or I'll get around to doing the uh, Islanders top 10, all-time top 10, which I'm trying to hold off on until after uh, the Islanders win the cup this year. So that'll give you a little hint as to who I have in my all-time top 10. I don't really want to do it until after they win the cup. So if I can push that off till after that, that'd be great. So if I can't get this interview done, it'll probably be a season's episode. But, you know, tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. We'll see what happens. So anyway, thank you for listening. And I hope you people stay safe this week. Have a great day.